That's pretty. What song was that? Here I am to worship. All right, very good. Tonight, uh, Hebrews chapter 12 is where we will get eventually. Hebrews chapter, I said Hebrews 12. Hebrews 11 is where we will get eventually. But we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 12 tonight. Genesis chapter 12. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you for the chance to be back again tonight, to be in your house, to sing the praises and the uh, truths and song that we've been able to enjoy tonight. We're thankful, Lord, for your word. I pray that you'd use it now to be a help to us, to be an encouragement, and I pray that uh, we would apply this wherever uh, it would be needed in our lives. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to begin by asking you, are you glad to be here tonight? I hope that we are, and uh, I want this message tonight to be an encouragement to us. I really do. I think it can be. I think it ought to be, and I think it uh, is something that can help us in the days and weeks and maybe even uh, years ahead uh, if it's one of those things that we will hold on to. But tonight I want to begin by asking us something, and I know I sound like a broken record whenever I say this. I ask it because I want you to think about it, not because I don't suspect I know the answer, okay? But I want us to think about a couple of questions and just see if this would describe you, see if this would uh, look like your perspective or mindset at all. The question I'd like to begin with this evening is this, is if you had the chance to go back to your teenage years, we'll start there, If you had a chance to go back to your teenage years, is there anything that you would like to change or maybe do a little bit different? Is there anything? I think for me, there's no hesitation in that answer that I would have to give. Man, if I could go back to my teenage years, there are certainly some things that I would do differently. Since most of us, not all of us, but most of us are past those teenage years, think about your 20s. You know, you hit 20 years old, you're no longer one of those teenagers anymore. You are a 20-year-old, so from your 20-year-old birth date to your 29-year-old birth date. Is there anything in that time span that if you had the chance, you'd probably do some things different? Again, I know for myself, and I'll illustrate in just a moment what I would do different, but again, I know for myself there is no doubt, there is no hesitation on my part. I would do some things different. How about from 30 to 39? Would you do anything different there? Or would you say, no, by the time I hit 30, I hit my stride and pretty much mistake-free? I don't know about you, but again, I would say for myself, boy, in my 30s, There are some things that I would definitely change, and there are some things that I would definitely alter if given the opportunity or the chance to do so. Well, now that I'm 42, I can't speak of all of my 40s, but I can say this, that in the last couple of years, if I could go back and change some things, I would change some things. 
And I would suspect that if we were to go all the way through every age represented here this evening, if we were to go into our 50s or we were to go into the 60s or the 70s or maybe even the 80s, I don't know if it would be true of everyone, but I think many of us would say, you know, if I had the chance to do that over, if I had a chance to redo that, if I had a chance to, to make some changes in this particular area, I would do that. Now, in what areas could we be talking about tonight? If we were going to get this chance to go back to change some things, what would we maybe want to change? Well, in my teenage years, I would certainly want to change my attitude toward education. Because I didn't really take education too serious, and I didn't really concern myself with things back then that I thought would be completely irrelevant for the rest of my life. I was right on some of it, but some of it I wish I had taken more serious, and I wish I had a better understanding of it today. So that's certainly something that I would like to change from my teenage years. From those years in my 20s, I would love to be able to change some of the mistakes that I made in the marriage with Susie because I certainly made a multitude of mistakes in those early years of our marriage. Not only that, I'd like to change some of the things that I did in raising our children, because by no means was I a perfect father, and by no means did I do everything right. And I, I can still look at certain occasions, and I can still reflect on certain times where, as a dad, I can just have to admit, man, you blew it. You just blew it. I look back over the course of my 20s and 30s, and I think, well, you made some dumb financial decisions, Kyle. Do you realize how much money you'd have if you hadn't done this? Do you realize where you'd be financially if you hadn't spent it on this or blown it on this? And So there are many things, if I could go back in time, that I'd love to change, I'd love to to reconfigure, and I'd love to start over in, in certain areas, but obviously we can't do that. But tonight I want us to think about something that, again, I think all of us know to be true, but we sometimes lose sight of it. And maybe we don't think about it as often as we could, maybe even as often as we should. But I am thankful for this truth, that for all the mistakes I've made in the past, those mistakes do not have to define who I am in the future. You understand what I'm saying, don't you? I understand that as a teenager in high school, I failed to be the student that I should have been. But I am thankful that today I can realize, you know what, I made some mistakes and, and I didn't approach that the best way that I could. And so today in my 40s, I can be a better student and I can be one who learns and applies myself to, to education and, and acquiring new knowledge. And so I'm thankful that that failure in the past doesn't have to define who I am in the future. I am thankful that my selfishness in the marriage of the early years of my uh, marriage with Susie, I am thankful that that failure does not have to define the future years of our marriage. I'm thankful that my poor parenting skills in the past don't have to define the kind of parent I have to be or can be in the future. I'm thankful that my financial failures in the past do not mean that I have to be a financial failure the rest of my life. I am thankful that though I have made mistakes and though I have made decisions that I regret, I am thankful that by the grace of God, those things do not have to permanently identify me as to the man that I am. 
Now this evening, as we keep that in mind, I want us to look in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. You may remember last week we looked at the portion of Scripture in Hebrews 11 where it talked about the faith of Abraham and how God called him to a land that he would show him and how Abraham, by faith, got up and obeyed and began this journey that God was going to take him on and he took Sarah and those in the house who were with him And this evening I want us to look at just a couple of thoughts in relation to that because of where we're headed. But tonight's message is going to focus on Sarah and her faith. So notice in verse number 4 it says this, "So So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. So it says in verse number 4 that Abraham or Abram was 75 years of age when this transition took place. When God began to move him, when God began to, to stir him and redirect him, Abraham was 75 years of age. Now here's what the scripture teaches us in other portions, and we'll not look at all the specifics tonight. But here's what the scripture teaches us, is that there was a 10-year age gap between Abraham and Sarah... So we understand from verse number 4, if Abraham was 75 years old when this all began to take place in their lives, then Sarah would have been 65 years of age when all this began to take place. Now I know tonight, and I'm not trying to be silly, I'm not trying to be funny, I know some of you are already past that 65 age mark in your life, but I've still got a ways to go before I get to that point in life. Now, I don't know what it was like for you as you began approaching that kind of a mile marker in your life, or for those of you who are still not there at that 65 mark yet, I don't know if you would say something like this, but I have said to Susie over the years that there are just certain positions or certain places I want to be at in my spiritual life by the time I reach a certain age. And all I mean by that is this, is I don't want to wake up one day in my 50s or in my 60s or in my 70s and be in a, in, a, in a place or a spot in my spiritual life that I should be way past. Because that happens sometimes, does it not? People do not mature in their spiritual lives as they should. They don't mature in their spiritual lives as as really as should be expected of them. And so I look at the age 65, still 23 years away, and, and I think to myself, God, by the time I get to age 65, I want certain things to be said, and I want certain things to be established, and certain things to be in place. I don't want to be wrestling with some of the same issues then that maybe I'm dealing with today. But nonetheless, here is Sarah. She is 65 years old, and all this is happening, as as we understood from last week. But keep in mind what God has also said in the first part of this chapter. Verse number 2, he said, And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. So Abraham is said, or Abraham is told rather, that God is going to make of him a great nation. Now, in order for a great nation to come from Abraham and Sarah, what is Sarah going to need at least one of? 
at least one child, right? She's going to need at least one child from their union. And to this point in their marriage, to this point in their relationship, God's not given them any children. So here is Abraham and here is Sarah. They are 65 and 75 years old. And God has yet to give them a child. And yet God has promised them that he is going to make of them a great nation. So turn over now to Genesis chapter 16. In Genesis chapter 16, here's what you find at the end of the passage. That Abraham is 85 when chapter 16 begins. So if Abraham is 85, someone tell me how old Sarah is. Well, she'd be 75, right? Because if Abraham is now 10 years older, that means Sarah is now 10 years older. So if Abraham is 85 when the chapter begins, then that means Sarah is 75. And so here is what one should naturally assume, should they not, that with 10 more years of life, that that should add 10 more years of maturity and understanding and depth and, and, and an establishment in their life and maybe who God is or things of that nature? Because we ought to be growing in our spiritual lives, should we not? So we should not be stagnant. We should not be stale. We should not be just parked somewhere and not growing in the spiritual realm of our lives. And so here is Sarah. She's now 75 years of age. Ten years have passed. You would assume that she has matured and that she has grown in her walk with the Lord. But here's what we find in chapter 16, that she is still without child. And she calls for an action and she calls for a choice to be made that not only reveals a lack of faith, but it also reveals a lack of wisdom and a lack of maturity. Well, how do we know? Fairly simple. In verse number 1, it says this. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar, and Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. So we understand what happens, that Sarah has reached a point in her thinking and in her thought process where she said, Listen, Abraham, Obviously, I'm not going to have a child, so here's what we can do. I can give you my maid, that being Hagar, and you can just have children through her, and her children will become my children, and that is how we will get this great nation that God has promised on our behalf. Now again, all you have to do is read through the, new, or the, read through the scriptures and through the chapters after this, to realize just how poor of a decision that was on their part. So as you come to chapter 16, verse number 16, notice what it says. It says, And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. So by the time Ishmael arrives, Hagar has had him, obviously. Abraham is now 
86 years old, which means Sarah is now 76. And in chapter 17, verse number 1, here's what you realize, is that 13 years have passed with just that one little transition between chapters. Because it says in verse number 1, And when Abram was 90 years old and 9, the Lord appeared to Abram. So Abram is now 99, correct? Okay. Somebody tell me how old Sarah is. She's now 89. That's how it works. 10 more years of life, 13 more years of life. That is the age at which she has arrived. So now she is 89 years of age. Again, you would expect 13 more years of maturity, correct? That's what you should assume anyways. I would like to think, and I'm going to say this one more time, I would like to think that if God gives each of us another 13 years of life on this earth, I hope that it would not be said of any of us that we're in the same position spiritually then that we're in today. Because we ought to be growing and maturing and developing in our spiritual lives. And so here is Sarah. She's now 89 years old. And look in Genesis chapter 18. In Genesis chapter 18, you began reading how the Lord is going to appear to Abraham once more. And notice in verse number 9 it says, And they said unto him, that being Abraham, where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. So the Lord and the others who are with him are now telling Abraham that Sarah, at about a year according to the time of life, she is going to have a child. Sarah hears it. But notice what it says in verse number 11. It says, Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Now I'm not going to spend a long time on this because I don't think it's necessary. But verse number 11 makes it fairly clear that by the time she reached 89, childbearing wasn't exactly in her future, humanly speaking. She was not exactly thinking, you know, it's just a matter of time and God gives me my first child. No, no, no. This is past the point of what any reasonable person would assume would be a time or a season in which she could, she could conceive and bring forth a child. So notice in verse number 12 what her response is to the news that she would have a child in about a year. It says, therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I am waxed old... Shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? So she hears the words from the Lord, and she hears the words that she's going to have this child. And Sarah, it says clearly, that she laughed and said, basically, we're too old for this to work. We're too old for this to happen. There's simply not a chance that this will take place. So the Lord, in verse number 13, said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety 
bear a child which am old. Verse number 15. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laughed not, for she was afraid, and he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. So Sarah denied laughing at the idea, right? And the Lord said, uh, No, you did laugh. And we know who was right on this one. The Lord was right. So it's not as though we could say, well, maybe the Lord misunderstood. Maybe the Lord misheard. Maybe the Lord heard something else and thought it was Sarah laughing. No. When the Lord said, no, thou didst laugh, here's what we know. Sarah, she laughed at the idea of being able to have a son, being able to conceive at this stage of life. So here we are. We're introduced to Sarah at the age of 65. She is now 24 years later in life. She is 89 years of age. She has been living in a tabernacle. She has been living in a tent. She has been following Abraham wherever Abraham has taken her in this journey. But in all of this, here is what she has struggled to see as a possibility or something that would become a reality that she would one day give birth to a child. Now, as we think about that, again, just give attention to this. She's obviously not too full of faith in this regard. She's not overly confident that it's going to happen. So in Genesis, when we read all these details about Sarah and her laughing and doubting and trying to bypass what God had said through the maid Hagar, I find it interesting when we turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, here's what we find in verse number 12. It says, Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. You know what it does in verse number 12? It confirms the physical condition of Abraham and Sarah out of the book of Genesis. The scripture said that he was as good as dead. I mean, that's not a real positive statement about his overall condition, right? <laughs> If you look at me and say, yep, you're about as good as dead, that, that's not painting me in the best light, okay? So that's what it says in verse number 12. So notice in verse number 11 what it says. It says, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. Through faith or because of her faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. What does that mean? It means this, that because of her faith, because of the faith that she exercised in the Lord, that she was able to receive the strength necessary to conceive seed or to become pregnant and to obviously one day bring forth Isaac. Now I want to ask you, as you read through the book of Genesis, at what point do you read about her life as it relates to her having a child and say something of this nature, man, she was a woman of faith. I don't know if you're like me, but I don't read that and ever once say that Sarah was a woman of faith in relation to her being able to bear a child. 
So I look at Sarah, I look at what she was at age 65, age 75, age 85, even up to age 89, and here is what I see. I see that she obviously struggled with her faith. She obviously struggled with her wisdom. She obviously struggled with some of her decision-making. And yet, in verse number 11, it says that it was because of her faith that she was able to receive the strength needed to conceive in her this seed that would bring forth Isaac. What we read in Genesis and what we read in Hebrews are two totally different accounts of a woman and her faith in God. So what this tells me and what this reminds me of in verse number 11 of Hebrews chapter 11 is this. No matter the failures that Abraham, not Abraham, but rather Sarah, no matter the failures that Sarah struggled with or dealt with in her 60s and 70s and even the 80s, that did not define who she became at age 89 at that late of a stage in life. Because in Genesis 12, 16, 17, 18, nobody would say, what a woman of faith. But yet by the time we get to Hebrews 11, it is God who said that it was because of her faith. That it was because of her trust and her dependence and her reliability upon God that she was able to receive this strength to deliver the seed or to receive seed. And notice what it says. It says, and was delivered of a child when she was past age. Well, after the fact that she should have been able to have a child, she had the child, and here's why. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. She judged him faithful who had promised. So what does it mean to judge something? It means to come to a conclusion. It means to come to a verdict. It means to to reach a decision about something. And so here's what happened at age 89. She came to a conclusion in her life. She came to an understanding in her life. And she made some decisions as it related to her spiritual life. At age 89, here is what she determined and here is what she judged. That the one who promised me that I will bring forth the seed and that I will bring forth the son, he is faithful to do what he said he would do. Which means this, he is reliable, he is dependable, he is trustworthy, he is one that you can count on. So it was at age 89 that Sarah finally came to this conclusion. I can trust God. And I can rely on God to do what He says He's going to do in this particular matter. I can depend on Him. He is worthy to be trusted. And because at age 89, Sarah finally got it squared away, that she could place her trust and faith and confidence in God in this matter. That is what allowed her to receive the strength to bring forth the seed and to bring forth the son, even when she was past age. 
Had she failed miserably in this area of faith in years past? Yes, she had failed miserably, but her failure did not have to define and dictate and determine what she became in later years by way of faith and trust and confidence in the Lord. Now, you don't have to get excited about this. You don't even have to grunt or smile or nod or anything. That's okay. I, I don't blame you after this morning's message. You might want to refrain from that. I get it. But I want us to think about something this morning, or this evening rather, about the message tonight. I want to ask you about your spiritual life, and I want to ask you if you could ever go back and redo anything from a spiritual perspective, how many of us would go back and redo some things and change some things? I certainly would, and I would imagine many of you would as well. Because it was not just in our approach to education that we've made some mistakes, right? It was not just in our marriage, in the early years of our marriage, where we did some dumb things. It was not just in raising our children, where we've made some mistakes, or our finances, where the mistakes were made. I think many of us would say something like this, over the course of our spiritual lives, we have certainly made some mistakes and failed in some areas that if we could go back and change it, we would do it in a heartbeat. Now this evening, if we wanted to talk about spiritual failures, we could be here for a long time, couldn't we? Yes, we could. But tonight I want us to think about this one little thought, this one little area of our spiritual lives where we sometimes fail. And that being in our overall position of faith in God's ability to do what he has promised he would do. Now, you can sit here this evening and say, well, I, I don't know that I've ever failed in that regard. I'll just say for myself, though, I have failed in that regard. I have failed to exercise the faith that I should have exercised, even though God had already promised, even though God has already said he's going to do certain things. I'll illustrate how that's happened in my life. I have fretted before. So I don't know what it means to fret. Okay, it means to worry. I have found myself worrying about situations I have no control over and I cannot change. And when I need to just place it in the hands of God and just trust Him to take care of it, however it needs to be taken care of, I have found in my own personal spiritual life that I have allowed myself to be a worrier and a fretter. And that's a failure on my part. I have found this to be true of myself. That I have tried to fix situations that I have no business trying to fix. 
It's not that I have just worried about it and fretted about it and, and talked to Susie about it and maybe lost sleep about it. No, I've, I've taken it the next step and, and, and I've gone to the next level and here's what I've tried to do. I've tried to fix things. Because there was a measure of doubt in my mind that either he would or could fix those things. And again, that's a failure on my part. If you've ever fretted, that's a failure on your part. If you've ever tried to fix situations that you really had no business trying to fix, that was a failure on your part. What about this? Again, I don't know if you've done this. I know that I've done it. I've tried to manipulate circumstances. Not just a direct approach to fixing everything and straightening everything out, but, you know, just trying to manipulate things to the best of my ability behind the scenes or maybe carefully or subtly so as to try to make things work out in the way that I thought would be favorable because, again, I wasn't sure that God would or that God was willing or that God could, so surely he needed me to step up and help him out in this matter. So I've worried. I've tried to fix I've tried to manipulate. And because of a lack of faith, I've done this. I've lost my peace and my joy. And that affects my testimony. I understand how that's kind of rolled into this whole idea of worrying and fretting and and, and giving your attention to things that are maybe out of your control. But, but whenever I don't exercise the faith in God that I ought, I lose my joy, I lose my peace, I lose my contentment. It affects my testimony. And I've also done this as it relates to my lack of faith sometimes. I've gotten ahead of God. I'm just going to hurry up and just go do this. Is that kind of like fixing the situation or trying to straighten it out? I guess it could be, but sometimes it's not that I'm trying to fix or, or address someone else or something else. Sometimes it's just me not having the confidence that God will do what he said he is going to do. So I just hurry up and I get ahead of God when I need to just be still and wait on God. But there have also been times that this is true. Because I've struggled with my faith, because I've struggled to be where I'm supposed to be in my spiritual walk, it's not that I got ahead of God, I got behind Him. You know, it was like the Lord was saying, come on, Kyle, come on, I need you up here. And maybe there was some reservation on my part, or maybe there was some fear on my part. Maybe there was something about the situation that I wasn't comfortable with, and whenever I needed to just step out in faith and do what needed to be done, I was too nervous to do it, and so rather than getting ahead of God and rather than staying in pace with God, I was back here because I was letting my fear dictate to me what steps I would or would not make. 
See, throughout the course of my spiritual life, here's what I have to admit that I have struggled with. I have struggled to truly accept that I can judge him faithful as it relates to the promises he has made. In my mind, I know that he's faithful. In my mind, I know that he is reliable and trustworthy and dependable. But in my heart and in my actions, many times it proves that I don't really believe it. And tonight, I don't know if you're sitting here this evening thinking of moments in your life where you would say, Man, I know exactly the time where I failed the Lord in that area. Man, I know the time that I worried, the time that I fretted, the time that I tried to fix, the time that I lost my joy, the time that I got ahead of God, the time that I didn't stay up with God. I don't know what kind of failures you might have to admit to in your spiritual life as it relates to your faith and your trust that God will do exactly as he has promised. But I want to say this that no matter how poorly we have failed in the past, let's listen, no matter how poorly we have failed in the past, that does not have to define who we are as men and women of faith in the future. There can be this moment. There can be this awareness. There can be this, this time in our lives where we finally get it where the light finally comes on where where it finally hits us in such a way that we come to this conclusion god you're faithful god you're reliable god you are dependable god you are trustworthy we can reach a point that we may look at our past and say we have really struggled in our faith. You and I, if we want to be men and women of faith, we can be. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean there aren't some challenges. It doesn't mean that there aren't some obstacles. But we can either choose to live by faith like we're required to do and expected to do, or we can live by sight, and we can live by what we can touch and feel and see and know to be a reality for that moment. But I'm just saying for myself tonight, I cannot and would not try to speak for anyone else this evening, but I would say for myself tonight what I want to be, what I want it to have said of me is this, is that I come to a place in my walk with God that no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance, that I can by faith determine and know in my heart God will be faithful. If God gives me till I'm 89, I don't want it to be that I'm 89 years old before I finally get it. With God's help, I want to get it today. With God's help, I want to remember it tomorrow. With God's help, I want to remember it throughout the week. I want to be a person of faith because it is possible for me to be a person of faith. Sarah reminds us of that. And tonight, if you would say, man, Brother Kyle, I struggle with that. I do. I know that I do. I struggle with it. I understand, but it doesn't have to stay that way. It does not have to stay that way. You can come to the same conclusion that Sarah did, and then you can see the blessings of God take place 
because of the faith we finally exercised in the power of God. Maybe you don't need the message tonight, but for those who do, I hope we're encouraged by it, all right? Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. Lord, I am thankful that Sarah's testimony just reminds us that no matter our failures, as it relates in our trust and our confidence in you, that can be changed and it can be restored and we can be the men and women of faith we're called to be. So I pray that if there's anyone here this evening who is struggling, who would have to admit some failure in that regard, I pray that you'd help us tonight to reach that same conclusion that Sarah reached so that we can have the faith that we're supposed to have. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.